the thing is, when you look back, you think, how ridiculous for somebody to think this is a lifestyle choice. Why would you do something like this? You know, there's no way you'd put your hand up and volunteer and say, oh, I want to be born gender dysphoric. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a good way to grow up. I'm Neil Maggs, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, The Bristol Cable. In this episode of Bristol Unpacked, we dive into a vexed and sometimes controversial conversation. Yes, we are talking trans issues. With the recent news of the puberty blockers court case and the continued raging debate on social media around safe spaces in prisons, in sport and in toilets, we talk to 67-year-old trans woman Steffi Barnett, a DJ. She's Bristol-born and bred, has lived a fascinating life. We wanted to get her perspective her lived experience, and try and take the sting out of some of this nastiness that carries on online. People who watch BBC and follow the media might be familiar with you because your story, um, a remarkable story, a re- moving and really powerful. So this was on BBC Inside Out West, yeah. and it was basically your story of being married for 45 years and then how you and your wife were determined to stay together after you underwent gender reassignment Mm -hmm. i'm quite interested in how that kind of feels to put your head above the parapet as as much as that so i think you're on the front page of the evening post is that right as well or the bristol post Uh, i was but that was pretty bad because um that was quite a way after i transitioned but they just got hold of it they didn't contact me and um uh, it was quite abusive i thought what they wrote but then when you think who owns the bristol post (laughs) <laughs> yeah you know what I was working I was actually I think I was working there at that point when I obviously knew you and we know each other from BCFM because you're part of the yep. brilliant show a groundbreaking radio show for the LGBT plus community it is I love shout out I mean it's on multiple stations you know it takes about 100,000 listeners to the podcasts and the FM stations every week you know it's broken down loads and loads of barriers but we'll part that for a minute let's talk about this tv documentary so it did come with some press and some publicity as well some of which as you say you didn't like but to be able to talk so openly and, and it was quite emotional as well you we were both come visibly upset and and it was just beautiful i thought it was absolutely brilliant i think the response what i saw on social media was quite powerful do you think that broke through to people that maybe didn't understand your experience I think so. Well, I would like to think so. We had lots of positive feedback, especially through the BBC. Working with them was an absolute joy. And Mm. they're very compassionate people. So it was easy to tell the story, but also very upsetting because tend to to bury things that um, that hurt you and are quite traumatic. So it did drag up a lot of stuff for both Lynn and I. Can you can you sort of explain your kind of journey, if you can? Well, it started in 1953 in July when I was born. Because you are now 68. Nearly 68, yep. Knocking on the door of 68. (laughs) It's coming ever closer. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I pre-ordered me Zimmer, Neil. (laughs) I guess I was aware of, of my gender 
when I was four years old, I assumed, because I wasn't told any different, that I was a girl. Okay. I hit a wall when I started infants at five. And then I got utterly bullied and told off by the teachers and just yanked into the male world. And it was pretty much a, a shock. Yeah. So I hid from then on because being dragged around by teachers telling you that you're not that, you should be this. Yeah. Um, And of course, there was no understanding. And I didn't understand. At five years old, you have no clue what's going on. You just assume you're you until somebody says, no, you're not you. Is there a Um, time you can remember someone saying that to you? Yes, I can, actually. My first ever teacher, I was playing in the Wendy house playing with the girls as usual and I said it was my turn to be mum and one of the girls said oh but you can't be mummy because you're a boy and that was quite a shock because the thing is pretty much irrelevant what's between your legs it's what's between your ears and I guess at that age that's exactly the truth because you have no comprehension of anatomy sure and the teacher come in and dragged me out by my ear Wow. And told me I got to play with the boys and go and build tanks and shoot guns. So you hid for how long? Uh, well, from then on. When Lynn was 16, I was 17 when we met. This is your wife. Yep. Yep. I didn't understand it. There was no terminology like gender dysphoria then. I did not have a clue what was going on. So I tried to explain to Lynn a couple of weeks after we'd met, hoping that everything would be all right and she'd understand. She didn't really, really mind because she didn't understand either. So that you had this conversation quite early then? Yeah, way before we got engaged or married. Yeah. Wow. Um, Okay. I guess I'm just naturally open um, and honest and I thought it would be something that could be quite crucial. (laughs) So we got engaged, we got married, we had two lovely boys. I I suppose I was on a, a cycle every few months I would have a meltdown because I was trying to block who I was. Yeah. And trying to control it. And I did that while the boys were growing up because they were the most precious thing to both of us. And um, that was it until they left home. They went to college and um, joined the army. And that was it then. I guess I felt I needed to do something before I fell off the cliff. That's how it literally felt. It felt like falling off the cliff. It It was like, yeah, it was a fork in the road moment for you. um, The first... The first big wobble was 40. And, you know, people, when you have an O on the end of your age, it's pretty traumatic, isn't it? Whether it's 20 or 30 or 40. But my first big wobble was 40. But then at 50, I I thought that was it. So um, we told friends by then and they were trying to help as best they could. In the end, everyone just said, look, if you don't do this, then you're going to lose yourself and being your friends and family, we don't want to lose you, whatever. So um, I went forward with um, transitioning. When was that? How long ago? I transitioned officially in July 2003. And then I was put forward for my operation. It was actually Valentine's Day, February the 14th, 2004. Right, <laughs> right okay. So 2004... That was the Gender Recognition Act year. Well, I didn't go through that. 
because Lynn was dead set against it. Because what would have happened, Neil, is our marriage would have been annulled. Really? Yes. At the time I transitioned, you had to annul your marriage. And that meant everything, what we felt for each other, the boys, almost like wiped slate clean. It's nothing existed between us. And neither of us wanted that. So I refused to do that. So on my birth certificate, I remained male. But it didn't really matter because my passport was female, my driving license, the tax office, the utilities, everyone was good. And they just changed my gender without going through having the marriage annulled and going after a gender recognition certificate. I've since gone through that because there was pension differences. And obviously, I'm of an age where pensions for women were at 60. Yeah. But what was crucial, Neil, at that time is that there were civil partnerships came along. Okay. And then it was legal to be married to the same sex. So Uh, that meant that I could change my birth certificate and go through the Gender Recognition Act and our marriage would still be valid. And your relationship was a strong element of what the documentary was about, really, was that you two have stayed together and there's a kind of an agreement that, and an acceptance that no intimate physical contact between you both. No, the marriage changed because Lynn had no lesbian tendencies whatsoever and yeah. it was difficult for her. She had to go through the mourning of losing her husband and I had to then go through the guilt of what I'd done. Right. Was there other people that you could talk to that had been through or or were going through something similar? Way before transition, we were trying to find out as much as we could about what was going on. And Lynn felt quite alone. So we joined an organization called the Beaumont Society, which was her idea. And we used to go to meetings. And that helped a lot because she was able to meet other wives who were going through the same thing and could share stories. And I could see that I wasn't the only person going through gender dysphoria. The difference then was the terminology, whereas now there's people identify how they really feel and that's how it should be. But people back then were put in boxes. So there were transsexuals, there were transvestites and there were crossdressers and never the twain shall meet. There wasn't the umbrella term trans that there is now, which encompasses people who are non-binary, gender fluid, transsexual. Language is quite powerful. And as you say, language develops over time. And I think the cable audience is quite sophisticated, but there will be some people listening who still don't fully understand all those kind of terms. So Mm. how would you define what, what is trans? Trans is just an umbrella term for anyone who's not comfortable with their assigned birth gender. And non-binary. Non-binary is because we put everybody into the black and white box of male-female. We know now through science that that is not the case. Cambridge University has found at least six genders. Um, When you go way back to the Greeks and the Native American Indians, for example, they had multiple genders. When you go back that far before religion took hold... There wasn't any hang-ups. People could be who they wanted to be. And you look how the ancient Greeks were. They didn't care whether you were gay or straight or born with male anatomy but wanted to be female. 
there was no hang-ups then. And that was exactly the same with the Native American Indians. And around the planet was the same. In America, you were two-spirit and you were revered because you had two genders within you. And that was special. Sure, yeah. There's that assumption, isn't there, that this is a modern phenomenon that suddenly kind of... No, exactly. But that's just spurious. That is not the truth. Multiple genders go way back. A cis male or a cis female, people talk about. Cis, yeah. yeah. Are you asking me what a cis female is? Yeah. Somebody who's born with female anatomy who feels female, like a cis male would be the same, the male gender. And do you think if people get the the terminology wrong they should be kind of scolded for that or sort of well the thing is now when you're talking to people and after i retired from the pharmaceutical company i was working at i traveled for a bit and then went into coffee because i didn't want to be bored so as well as radio i i went into coffee and that kept me quite fit but it also put me on the front line of meeting people So that was an eye opener. But you know, when people are asking questions, how they're asking it, you can tell, you can tell whether they're being nasty, or they're actually genuinely want to be educated. In the kind of tone and the intention, as in some people that are asking questions to be challenging, or they've already made their mind up, and there's other people that are actually exactly. Do you think sometimes some people online from the trans community could be more forgiving when people get it wrong? That, because you, how you just said yourself, it depends how somebody says it. Are they apologetic? You know, that, that is there sometimes a culture of sent to Alcatraz because you've kind of you, yeah. So I guess people can be the LGBTQ community is no different to society at large, and some people are very sensitive and get and anger quickly, and and others are quite placid and take it on the chin. Just going to jump in and talk to you about the Bristol Cable. The Cable's aim is to amplify voices and have important and sometimes difficult conversations. This podcast is an example of that and thousands of people are tuning in. But we also need your support. So how about chipping in a couple of quid a month from all that pub money you're saving and help build a new kind of newspaper for Bristol? A lot of people may not know the statistics. This is a government website. They say themselves that there is no robust data and the tentative estimation there are between 200,000 to 500,000 trans people in the UK. I have never read a statistic in my life which is so much of a range, 200 to 500. I'm presuming that's because people still don't feel comfortable, confident, or society isn't as supporting as it should be that those figures aren't as accurate as they could be? I think that's an underestimate, actually. I think there's probably more than half a million. I think parents now are more understanding and kids, because they're more knowledgeable about this type of thing, they're able to understand who they are. Stonewall survey, they've said 41% of people said they experienced hate crime because of their gender identity in the last 12 months. 25% of trans people have experienced homelessness in their lives. 67% said they avoided being open about their gender identity for a fear of a negative reaction from others. So whilst there clearly is, you know, positive changes and more acceptance, it's still quite a big issue. It is a big issue and there's still an awful lot of suicides because of society. That's not just for trans people, that's if you're gay. I mean, even people of colour 
take a hit still, Neil. And that's ridiculous. You know, so LGBTQ have still got a fight on their hands to be totally accepted and seen as just, you know, the ordinary person on the street that's going to do you no harm. Yeah. There seems to be an open hostility to trans people that perhaps isn't to some other minority groups at the moment. Is it just because it's the latest thing for people to get annoyed about or or is it actually more loaded no i think it's just that groups of of women have got together including jk rowling just to lash out and hit and prejudice is born of fear as you well know and whether that's to people of color different religions even people who are the same color as you they got a facial disfigurement if they're overweight the, the fear is what stokes the problem. And at the moment, there's two groups taking a huge hit, and that is the trans community and the cutie pop community, which is queer, trans, intersex, people of colour. Yeah. So people of colour who are LGBTQ are taking a hit, sometimes from their own communities, sometimes from without. Yeah. And a lot of this is from hatred and ignorance from groups of women who usually use the the toilet aspect. Yeah, that seems to, this whole sense of female spaces, that, that's where a lot of this big debate comes from. I want to drill into that a bit later. So the, the government in its consultation on the Gender Recognition Act says uh, five key parts which are under review. Number one, they say there will be no change to the provision of women-only spaces and services. Number two, there will be no change to the NHS medical pathways for trans people. Number three, children are not put at risk. Number four, all views will be heard in the consultation. Number five, we are committed to making the lives of trans people easier. In in the context of the Gender Recognition Act, I'll be perfectly honest with you, you know, this is not my sort of subject of knowledge. And I, I looked into it and read what what kind of things you have to do. On reading it, I thought it's just it's some slightly odd things. So you need to have had proof of having lived for at least two years in their acquired gender through, for example, bank statements, payslips, and a passport. If you're married, you have to have the consent of your spouse. You have to have a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria. And this, for me, was a statutory declaration that you intend to live in the acquired gender until death. As I was reading all this stuff, I, I was feeling it sounds quite cold and bureaucratic. Oh, it's it's horrible! I tell you, I went through it, and it's it's not nice. How does it feel going through that process? I'll tell you what, I felt like I felt like I was being abused. Really? Hmm. I guess you're having to prove who you are, aren't you? Essentially. Yep. So you had to have psychiatric statements, which I had because I went through psychiatric assessments to make yeah. sure that you are gender dysphoric. I had to get Lynn's permission. Yeah. Even though I'm the age I am, that's that just sounds so ridiculous. The teacher for permission yeah. is patronising and condescending and insulting, isn't it? Yep. Yep, absolutely. So you've got to send off all this paperwork, get a statement from the surgeon, proof that I've had the operation, all the utility bills, letters and like you say because I sent stuff that was probably 10 years old but they sent all that back and said no it has to be less than two years old yeah so it took a while to get it but now my birth certificate says that I was born female which is how it should have been I guess 
and you have to pay 140 quid and this has to go in front of uh, like a panel yep. it. do we yeah. know who's on this panel Steph? Who no, are- i didn't have a clue who was assessing me <laughs> You don't meet them. You don't talk to them. They just go through all the paperwork you've sent and say yes or no. And there's no way to turn around and say, I disagree. Uh, and this is, I mean, there there are um, there are strong movements to try and change some of these requirements because people may may or may not even be aware of the act and the, the, the steps you need to go through. But this is not the case. You know, if you lived in Ireland... That you don't have to do this. You've, you know, there are there are other countries where you know you can self-identify. You don't have to go through this process. So, yeah. what? Um, I know you can't speak for everybody, but what are some of those key areas that people want changed? I think not to jump through hoops. Obviously, you know who you are. Yeah. Then that should be good enough. You know that you're a cis white male that likes football. I mean. Yeah. You know, that's like somebody saying, sorry, Neil, but you don't like football. You've got to prove it. Yeah, yeah. As a Ravers fan, many people may well say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's you're, you're, having to, you're having to prove who you are, aren't you, really? The thing is, when you look back, you think, how ridiculous for somebody to think this is a lifestyle choice. Why would you do something like this? You know, there's no way you'd put your hand up and volunteer and say, oh, I want to be born gender dysphoric. You know, it's it's not a good way to grow up. No, it's not something that that's easy, and would one would choose to do. Nope. The Rainbow Index, which is run by Rainbow Europe, has a kind of list of countries whose laws have a positive impact upon the LGBTQ plus community. UK was top a few years ago. We've now plunged to seventh. Countries like Malta, Norway, Ireland have this what they call statutory self-declaration, which you wouldn't have to go through that. Um, some of the reforms, uh, uh, Stonewall Director have got three key points. They want to introduce self-determination. They, the one thing it says is there's no legal recognition for non-binary. No, there isn't at the moment, but um, some countries already have that. I think it'll come. And also the age, so it's lowering the age to 16. At the moment, the age is 18 and over. Mm. See, the thing is with, with age as well, that um, the, the people that are termed TERFs, uh, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists, who are the ones given all the vitriolic um, comments, they need to understand that people know who they are at a very, very young age. It's like, when did you know you were straight, Neil? I don't know. <sighs> I don't think there's ever been a time that I've kind of known or not known, really, if I'm honest. Okay, you didn't question your sexuality. You just thought, I'm straight. Yeah, probably. Because that's exactly how somebody who's gay or trans is. It's just you, isn't it? You're just you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just me, and that's it. And nobody's hurting anyone else. So turf is a word that some people do find offensive. Um, which gives you an idea about how divided the Twitter war is about trans rights. Let's look at the female safe spaces, because I think that's where there is quite a debate. Do you accept any of the arguments from feminist groups around, as you mentioned earlier, about toilets? and? Well, let's just let's just deal with toilets then, because that is usually the top of the list. 
and we're talking of trans females here because trans males don't usually have an issue with this prejudice. It's always trans women. Now, I've been using ladies' loos for a long, long time. Yeah. And trans people have been using the toilet of their gender choice for as long as there was public loos. We deal at Shout Out with Avon and Somerset Police LGBTQ organisation, and they deal on a national level with the National Police LGBTQ, who in turn deal with the European-wide organisation, who then deal with the worldwide one. And let me ask you a question. How many times do you think a woman's been sexually assaulted in a ladies' loo by a trans, as they frame it, a man in a frock? anywhere in the planet i honestly wouldn't know i imagine it's in a very very small percentage okay there's none really none none reported to the police anywhere on the planet that uh, a trans female has sexually assaulted a woman in a ladies loo so they're using extreme examples to whip up an issue that isn't there yeah there's i guess we could term it trumpism <laughs> Yeah, okay. What about prisons? And I'll use a good example. This has come out literally in the last few weeks. A trans woman called Michelle Winter, who was jailed for 15 years for rape. She identifies as female, but has male anatomy. She was charged on the 15th of January. A tweet from Times journalist basically said, if women campaigners had lost the Gender Recognition Act and they had been reformed to allow self-identity, the rapist would have obtained a gender recognition certificate and been automatically sent to women's prison. So how would you respond to that? Um, It was a very, very sad case. And of course, I'm appalled by it. It's the same as any prison. You put people in certain category of prison and isolate them if they've done certain things. There was a famous case two years ago with someone called Karen White, who was quite a big case and that was kind of what started a lot of this debate that she sexually assaulted someone in custody but when you think how many times that's happened reported but how many times there's women on women sexual assaults within prisons it's a daily thing so this is another example of hysteria in your view I wouldn't say it was hysteria because the hurt and the pain and the shock of what happened, just as it would be valid of a female or a group of females sexually assaulting another female, would be the same. It's it's appalling sometimes, the sexual assaults that happen in prisons, both male and female prisons. Okay, some data for you. In England and Wales, the Ministry of Justice counted 125 transgender inmates in a prison population of 85,513. They also reported that 11 trans inmates had experienced sexual assault in male prisons in 2019 and one sexual assault by a trans woman in a female prison. It's been difficult for feminist campaigners, many of which that would have been maybe of a certain age around the Green and Common era, they were fighting for the rights of women, always feeling that they're on the right side of the debate and coming at it with a, a really strong conviction and perhaps failing to understand the complexity of this. 
Well, I think what they fail, Neil, is to look at the facts and the science behind it, that it's not what's between your legs, it's what's between your ears that defines you. And and that, that and that's the fundamental objection, you think, from feminist groups. I think there's I think I, th- I think there's more I think it's this sense of the male patriarchy and the sense that men are dictating or in their minds on, on men in inverted commas that trans Yeah, but uh, what they're know. saying, Neil, is that that men are doing this on purpose. So they're having an operation to remove their penis to have vaginoplasty just to invade a woman's world. Do you think that's at all possible? I certainly don't. I mean, that's it. That's, that's damn extreme. Yeah, and, and and there seems a lack of nuance in the conversation. So, is is the response from some members and younger members, I think, of the trans community to people like J.K. Rowling? I mean, she's an extreme example, but maybe people. Yeah, but I think what you're missing as well is the fact that the the, the turfs are only attacking trans females. And the argument is all about is men taking over the women's world and they're a threat. But what happens when somebody who's born with a female body at birth but has got gender dysphoria and feels male or is male but was born with the wrong body, it's like they've twisted and focused on one aspect of gender dysphoria and missing that the, the, what how they would put it, their own gender becoming men even consistent in their criticism because it only applies to one side of exactly mermaids the trans youth organization is doing a wonderful job with kids who suffer greatly with gender dysphoria and they've invited jk Rowling to sit around a table and actually meet trans kids and she's refused. So she doesn't want to be educated or or me. They just turn around and say it's the parents is child abuse. And that's crazy because it's dead the opposite. Those parents are looking and caring for their children. The mental illness that happens and self-harm and suicides because people can't be who they want to be and need to be and should have been. There is still quite a high suicide rate amongst people that have transitioned as well, though, isn't there? Um, That's because of society, Neil. That's because of lack of acceptance from family, from the attacks people get from the general public. And yes, that needs to stop. For me also, what was interesting is there's often an assumption that some of the negativity comes from straight people but actually there is some prejudice within the lgbt plus community as well yes there is um there are lgbtq people that don't think the t should be part of lgbtq but it's a very small minority most lesbian gay and bi people support the trans community wholeheartedly You've got to remember that the LGBTQ community is no different to the rest of the community at large. There's people who are racially prejudiced, religious prejudiced, and prejudiced within our own community against parts of the community. Are there any spaces or any areas that should be, or any sort of facets that should be women only? Yeah, but you're missing the point that trans women are women. 
Sure. What you're doing is saying that trans women aren't women. So there's no argument, Neil. Trans women are women. And that is a science fact. That's not me pretending. Or... I, I phrased that wrong. In the eyes of how people would see that. So people that are arguing for, I'm using women in, in brackets, spaces. Are there any kind of, some people have argued around, for example, I don't know, sport from a health and safety perspective around boxing or mixed martial arts or or things where there's a physical difference. Is that something that is a legitimate argument? Or again, is that fundamentally being transphobic? Well, no, I wouldn't say it was transphobic. Uh, that's, you know, it's, just, it's people trying to get their head around it. But if you've got a trans woman and they're on hormones, female hormones, HRT, which you are for the rest of your life, your body changes so you no longer have the muscle tone of a man. You have the muscle tone of a woman yeah. and the shape of a woman. So things change. Yes, if it was a pre-operation trans female, then maybe there's an argument that muscle tone is different and there's stronger aspects in going either way. Women have got certain strengths and men have got certain strengths. Sure. But if you're talking about trans people who were fully transitioned who were on hormones then i don't see an issue yeah i i think i think that's legitimate i think that it's it's the it's something i think that's that i hear banded around i just don't see that a trans female would be some superhuman person that's far superior to a cis woman i don't don't understand that i don't don't believe that's the case even in combat sports Combat sports, like I said, the muscle tone changes. My muscle tone has completely changed. So my strength that I had when I had testosterone flowing around my body is completely different, different now. Yeah, so, and yeah. people don't get that the science behind it. They just take it that, oh, as a bloke in a frock. Yeah. So it's been in the press recently, the High Court ruling in December 2020. And this is something that, that again, is, is sparked a debate and, and perhaps has a bit more nuance than some of the other conversations. What happened is so somebody went to the High Court against Tavistock and Portman NHS Trust, and this is about the ruling against puberty blockers in children. Dame Victoria Sharp, the High Court judge, ruled, it is highly unlikely that a child aged 13 or under would be competent to give consent to the administration of puberty blockers. It is doubtful the child of 14 or 15 could understand long-term consequences or risks. Age 16 and over, there is a presumption that they do have the ability to consent. And this was described by the solicitor as a historic judgment that protects children who suffer gender dysphoria. This is being appealed now. There are people in the trans community appealing. What's your take on that high court ruling? Um, I think it was incorrect, and I hope the Supreme Court change it back. Nothing has changed at the moment, though. The court did say that everything just stays as it is until the, the Supreme Court actually give their delivery on, on blockers. Blockers... Yeah, just explain for people that don't know. Well, what's traumatic is when a trans child is starting to go through puberty and a trans girl to start growing facial hair, the voice drops. It's, it's traumatic and also for trans boys. So what a puberty blocker does is it just holds that puberty moment a bit longer until things can be sorted out. What that does is give 
people time and time to breathe and sort things and give them time to have the operation and be who they want to be. Because if that doesn't happen and they do stop blockers, then there's going to be a lot more kids self-harming and committing suicide. So the mental health aspect of removing blockers is just going to be really, really hard to take. This claim was brought by Kira Bell, who's a 23-year-old woman who began taking puberty blockers when she was 16 before detransitioning and an unnamed mother of 15-year-old autistic girl was also on the waiting list for treatment. So these were people that brought the case to the High Court themselves. So do they have a legitimate claim themselves or is the argument that this should still be allowed for people that want to and there should be choice? The problem is, is that there's a lot less than 1% who detransition, who, who get, right. it, who get so, it wrong. So what you're saying is, is that the 99.9% of yes. trans kids get it right. You're going to stop yeah. those 99.9% of going the route that would save them just for the sake of... We're back to the same argument, which is, as you spoke about prisons uh, and you spoke about the low percentage, you spoke about toilets and you said the 0% of of assaults. And now we're talking about 1% of... Well, less than 1%, a lot less than 1%. I mean, when you think of the thousands of trans kids who go through uh, and have puberty blockers and go through transition quite happily, it's very rare for somebody to get gender dysphoria wrong what would you say to somebody that young people are in flux, their brains are pliable? You said yourself about it being between your ears and not between your legs and how you know young people do go through phases, they do change. You know We have other laws in place to protect children from culpability and responsibility. Can you understand why some people feel uncomfortable uh, or don't quite understand this? And what would you say to them to try and make them understand this? Well, it's all about not putting pressure on your children for a start to let them be who they want to be. The problem is, is that we're still in a male dominated, orientated society, whereas if boys want to put a frock on or play with dolls and push a pram, it's looked down on. But if a girl plays with cars and plays football or climbs trees, they're just a tomboy. So society is still slanted. against trans boys that is an issue and it's usually from the dad who's desperate to have a son who's going to go and play football for the premier league they're really disappointed if they're not instead of accepting your children for who they are and who they want to be and not forcing them you know that's the issue is yeah, not forcible. Obviously, things are changing because a lot of kids are being brought up in, in a family where different is allowed. Like you say, most times it might be just a phase. But the thing to do is not go screaming and shouting at the kid and ripping it off and saying you're a boy and telling them they're grounded for a month. It's just yeah. to go with the flow. How old can you be, in your opinion, to take puberty blockers? Uh, Well, puberty blockers are done specifically to stop a child going through puberty. So as soon as it's seen, then whether that's 11, 12 or 13, um, those those hormones need to be blocked. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a decision between the parents, the psychiatrist, the medical profession. 
and organizations yeah. like mermaids that are also hand-holding the yeah. parents and helping them through it because it can be traumatic for parents obviously you've had that experience yourself with with your wife haven't you lynn and seeing how the other person goes through that journey with you so I, I do know somebody whose daughter has gone through transition and she she did find it really difficult and she's a very open-minded person i think she had to she went on a process in a journey herself and has come out the other end and they've got an amazing relationship but amongst all this the extremities of the debate and the conversation as you spoke about jk Rowling and how that all plays out in the social media sphere but you have real impact on real people's lives and how is there space for parents to understand and to get their head around make mistakes and to come around to understanding this stuff because presumably they need to be able to express you know if they're uncomfortable to begin with and whether they're their fears and all that kind of stuff as well i think it all begins with love neil yeah uh, love of your child and allowing them to express themselves how they want without the parent putting any pressure on them whatsoever. And there's lots of help available out there. It's not like when I was growing up, there was absolutely nothing for people with gender dysphoria. Now there's a lot of help out there and they help thousands of families go through what can be a very traumatic time for both the parents and the child. And the, and the, and that's what, um, that's what I think life, and you just said about love, I think you're right. That's what love and acceptance is about, isn't it? It's also about understanding. And it's all, sometimes it can take people a bit longer to get there. Yes, it can. Yeah. But that's then down to their childhood and how they've been brought up and the prejudice instilled in them. And are you hopeful and optimistic that I think the younger generation are far more? Oh, I just love my, my granddaughter is non-binary. She's been brought up really well in a relaxed atmosphere so she's just allowed to blossom and be who she wants to be going through a goth phase at the moment so it's it's just about allowing your kids to express themselves how they want and as long as it's not harming anybody yeah. then just go with the flow and what i also like about your um uh, your journey and your family so your two lads went into the army and you've been in around the military off and on throughout their whole career so you, you said to me when we spoke earlier today that you were fully accepted and embraced in arguably a very macho world yeah well i was quite scared when i first had to make the journey over to germany to to visit them i was quite nervous but um the officers and the ranks i've been welcomed and i felt quite respected i wouldn't have expected that i love that I think that's amazing it was. And because of that, I, I told our eldest first because he seems to be the more understanding of the two. And the younger yeah. one went in the army and did all the big butch manly stuff. So I thought it was going to be an issue for him. But yeah. as it turned out, he said, that's just the army. It's just a front. He said, I still love you. He said, you'll always be my dad. And I, it doesn't worry me that you're born with gender dysphoria. And I just want you to be who you need to be. That's amazing. And that was on the A2 in Germany, the autobahn coming back from um, Hamel. <laughs> yeah. And that whole kind of concept where I think some people, some people still now don't understand that, that there may be people listening. And I kind of want to reach out and, you know, talk to, to those people as well, is that I think that what's key 
in all the conversations we've had in this podcast series that there will be topics and issues that people don't always understand and I hope kind of as you come through the conversation you will sort of have a light bulb moment a bit and you know there are people and if this is new to you kind of listen there are people that imagine now you're not allowed or accepted to just be who you are as a person and that is a luxury that some people never ever have to think about in their whole lives how would you feel Neil being a heterosexual male to be forced to be gay it would go against the grain of who you are you would fight it tooth and nail you would crumble you would have a nervous breakdown you'd be self-harming and if you if you if you couldn't cope you'd contemplate suicide yeah it's an amazing way of putting it and i I think you're right it's you're you're being pushed into being something you aren't people become happy when they find who they are yeah um this has been amazing to talk to you steph i've i don't know hopefully you've enjoyed it i have it's been really um interesting and eye-opening and I just want to give you totally full props and full respect for everything that you do. And really, I think that obviously, you know, you're, I'm not going to say you're going to be 70 soon, but you know, you must be somebody, <laughs> you must, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're a trailblazer really. Thank you. And, and incredibly brave, you know, uh, this whole thing around all being, being, you know, we spoke about toxic masculinity and all macho. So there is nothing more macho, nothing more brave to put yourself in a position to put your head above the parapet in an era and a time where people just would not have accepted something. I think, you know, I'm going to swear, fucking fair play to you. <laughs> Thank you ever so much for talking to me. And I hope people listening have, have, have got something from it as well. Okay. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. So reflecting on that chat with Steph, fascinating for me. It's not really a subject I'm an expert on in, in any way, shape or form. And I wanted to approach it with open-mindedness and curiosity and not get into necessarily a debate. Steph's obviously a bit older and she's lived a life of feeling other than not being able to be who she is. And I think it's probably slightly different for younger trans people, particularly if they've had parents that were quite supportive of of allowing them to be who they are that maybe don't feel as wedded to having to undergo transition for example one thing i do know is that this sort of culture wars thing gets quite nasty and quite vitriolic and the trans conversation seems to be at the heart of what triggers people and there does also seem to be quite a militant reaction from some trans groups as well. I don't know how helpful that is, but I guess if people are denying your right to exist, then a you know a natural reaction is to to be angry and frustrated at that. So I don't know if we sort of solved anything in this conversation. What for me it feels like a starting point. Actually, it feels like a starting point. And what I was really mindful of, lots of people listening to this will probably have a more of a sophisticated understanding of this subject than myself. Um, many people won't, many people won't, you know, can't really get their head around it or object to the very notion and may find this a challenging listen. The thing I think you need to do is to just kind of listen to Steph's 
perspective and listen to Steph's experience. Yeah, I hope you got something from that and I'm sure it'll get a reaction as, as this stuff does and just hope people kind of, you know, just be respectful. I'm not one for censoring any views and I'll talk to anyone about anything, but yeah, just be respectful. And yeah, be interested to know what you think. Thanks for listening to Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs, and a big thanks to Rosa Eaton, our audio producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, our executive producer, and Blue Dot for our music. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes, and if you want to support what we're doing, join the Bristol Cable, along with 2,000 others, to create a new kind of media for the city.